Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to the Serial Killer Podcast, the podcast dedicated to serial killers, who they were, what they did, and how. Episode 203. Before I tell you about this evening's saga, I would like to share with you some happy news from your humble host's life. My wife and I was recently blessed with having twins, a baby girl and boy, named Thelma and Turbjörn. Our family of five is now truly complete. So, back to our serial killer saga. In this episode, I will bring to you, dear listener, the tale of another one of these rare killers we seldom hear about, namely Scandinavian serial killers. This time it is not your humble host's home country we visit, but Norway's friendly neighbor and previous colonists, the Kingdom of Denmark. Our subject is also a rare breed. While the vast majority of serial killers are male, a select few are women. And tonight's subject is just that. And what women serial killers might lack in numbers, they take up in absolute depravity and evil. I am, of course, talking about none other than Dagmar Overby, serial killer and murderer of at least nine young children, perhaps as many as twenty-five. 
Enjoy. This episode, like all other sagas told by me, would not be possible without my loyal Patreonies. They are Lisbeth, Cassandra, Russell, Lisa, Cody, Kathy, James, Corbin, Kylie, Niao, Sabina, Val, Marilyn, Craig, Emily, Missy, Jonathan, Lance, Susanna, the Duggletons, Jennifer, Lunavar, Dmac, Cheryl, and Richard. You truly are the backbone of the Serial Killer podcast, and without you, there would be no show. Thank you. I am forever grateful for my elite TSK Producers Club, and I want to show you that your patronage is not given in vain. All TSK episodes will be available 100% ad-free to my TSK Producers Club on patreon.com slash theserialkillerpodcast. No generic ads, no ad reads, no jingles. I promise. And of course, if you wish to donate $15 a month, that's only $7.50 per episode, you are more than welcome to join the ranks of the TSK Producers Club too. So don't miss out and join now. Imagine, if you will, dear listener, Copenhagen, Engehavevei 21, the 1st of September, 1920. Dagmar went to the tiled stove in the living room and knelt down in front of it. Carefully, she piled up the firewood and crumpled up the newspaper before packing it good between the dry kindling. The can of kerosene stood by her side and she uncorked it then let a thin stream of the flammable liquid drench the wooden paper. She struck a match, glanced briefly at the flame, and felt the heat against her face. With a steady hand, she guided the match to the newspaper and still sat on her knees as she watched the fire take hold. She closed the damper a little, so that too much oxygen did not enter the licking flames, just enough for the fire to roar. There was nothing better than looking into a blazing fire, watching the flames dance as they licked up the knots of wood, feeling the warmth on your body, and enjoying the life-giving energy that sprang from it. Dagmar took a deep breath as she turned her face and looked into the bedroom. She could make out the suitcase that was still under the bed, and with her gaze fixed on it, she stood up and approached with slow steps. She bent down and grabbed it. It was lighter than she remembered. With slightly shaking hands, she opened it and looked down at a small corpse, which stared back with empty, lifeless eyes. Reflexively, she turned her face away. She still did not like looking dead babies in the eyes. But she quickly got control of herself and fixed her gaze on the baby's chest instead. So quiet and calm it was. Not a sound came from its small, pale lips. 
Dagmar smiled blissfully as she lifted the infant to her. She held it close to her body as she moved back to the living room. With confident steps, she approached the roaring stove again. She knelt down once more and opened the middle shutter. Laboriously and with some difficulty, she managed to push the lifeless body through the hole and was finally able to close the door again. Dagmar got up and stood completely still in front of the stove. Almost devoutly, she held out her hands and accepted the warmth that spread from the hot metal to her cold fingers. Her eyes were still fixed on the flames she could see through the shutter, and a small smile curled her lips. That's how easy it was. The stove was a good servant in her fight for survival, in the fight to erase all traces. Let us, for a while, wind back time a bit. We're still in Denmark, this time on the mainland called Jutland, in Danish Jylland. And the date is the 23rd of April, 1887. A gravel road led past a farm worker's dwelling, which was a little out of the way. It was a small thatched house with an attached barn. Next to the barn was the well, with its worn handle that bore witness to years of use. Small wildflowers grew up the half-timbering of the house wall. From the outside it looked idyllic, but the view is sometimes deceiving, because when you got closer you could see the beginning decay and rot. Anna-Maria Overby stood at the kitchen table. Her eyes roamed over the brickwork of the barn, where the half-timbering gaped here and there, testifying to the beginning of decay. It was not out of any bad intention that they had let it fall into disrepair, but living for rent as a boarder, where you had to do hard work for little pay, that did not give the greatest profit. They only had resources for food and the most necessary clothing. As a day laborer, there were so many tasks to take care of for others, and in return you had to put up with being almost the lowest in society. Anna-Maria knew that well, and as Søren's wife she had to follow her husband, both in the fields and in the stables. Of course the tasks were divided between them, but they each knew what they had to do. At times it could be frustrating, the idea that you worked yourself ragged in order to put bread on the table for others. Even the children had to help with the workload from an early age. As soon as they could pull up weeds, they joined the fields. Anna-Marie knew in her heart, however, that there was a meaning to everything. The priest said that nearly every Sunday in church. Their reward came in heaven, if they behaved themselves and did their best while on earth. Anna-Marie moved around. Breathing heavily, she kept one hand on her aching lower back as she set the table. Søren and the two men would soon be on their way in from the field, and she had to see to it that the porridge was ready. Anna-Maria brushed a stray lock of her hair 
away from her forehead and let out a small startled gasp as a searing pain ran through her stomach. She held both hands to her stomach and bent her body a little. Was it contractions? Was she going to give birth now? Anna Maria hobbled over to a chair and sat down heavily. Finally, the pain subsided and she stood up again. At the age of twenty-nine, she had given birth three times before, and she knew that it could take some time before the birth really started. Time that had to be utilized. A quick glance at the table told her that wooden bowls, spoons, and sugar were ready. She went over to the hot stove and stirred the porridge one more time, while again massaging her lower back with her free hand. She thought about a new small child that would arrive. Another mouth to feed, of course, but they also benefited from the children when they grew up. This pregnancy had been very different from the first three. The child seemed so impetuous and violent, as if it had its own temperament and willpower. The boys and little Emilia had been so easy to bear, little kicks that could barely be felt. But this kid kicked so hard it hurt. Anna Maria felt sadness at the thought of the first-born boy. He was no more than fourteen days old, and the long way up to the cemetery with his little wooden coffin on the horse cart was the heaviest walk she had ever walked. Fortunately, they had gotten baby Gustav the following year, and he was now a small, thin four-year-old boy. A few years of pregnancies had then followed, but she had lost the children both times in connection with birth. She had almost given up hope of more children when luck finally smiled on them last year, and she had given birth to Emilia. But even though she had been happy to discover she was pregnant again this year, she could not say anything other than that she was looking forward to the fact that this little being would release the strain on her aching pregnant body and instead kick freely in God's free air. The pregnancy weighed heavily on her now, and it made her duties more difficult. Now breakfast was ready, and she thought the men had better come before the porridge burned. Anna Marie appeared out of the small kitchen window that faced the dirt road that led up to the fields. In the early morning light, it was hard to see anything but haze and shadows, but it seemed to her that she could make out some figures up at the bend. At the same time, another contraction raced through her body, and she bent over in pain. She propped one hand on the rough kitchen table as she gasped for air. The other pregnancies and deliveries had not hurt so much. Desperately, she contemplated who would be able to help her, as she was alone with little Gustav and Emilia. She contemplated sending Gustav out after surgery. 
If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all have our burdens to bear, dear listener. And as a man, I was and am often told to suck it up, keep calm, and carry on. Normally, good advice in many situations. But never talking about what bothers you is not healthy. Therapy is great to get things off your chest, to vent, and best of all, to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Everyone needs someone to talk to. Even psychopaths, even your humble host. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash serial killer today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H E L P dot com slash serial killer. Anna Marie let out a sigh of relief, and Søren just then passed the window. He looked startled at her anguished face and hunched body, then hurried in his cogs to join her. He did not even stop in the scullery to take off his clogs, but came running into her kitchen and took a firm hold of her upper body and asked if the time had come for her to give birth. Anne-Marie shook her head cautiously as she waited for the contractions to pass. She said she did not think so, but that the contractions would probably last a while. But oh, how it hurt, she told her husband, and she feared something might be wrong. It wasn't like this the other times. He should probably call the midwife to be safe, even though they might end up paying for her services twice. Her husband, a kind and gentle man, who heeded his wife's advice and decisions in most things, immediately agreed and said he would send the eldest boy to get the midwife right away. But first, he would help her get into bed. Grateful for his help, Anna-Maria leaned on Søren, and they almost reached the bedroom door 
when a new wave of pain set in. At the same time, she felt something warm and wet run down her legs. At first she thought that her water had broke. Anna Maria gasped and moaned in pain. She herself could feel how dizzy she became and how the bed sailed before her eyes. Looking down at her legs, she saw to her horror that they were coated in blood. She cried out for Sir and to, in God's name, get help. The sight of the blood, but mostly the sound of Anna Marie's despairing voice, filled Søren with dread. He stormed into the kitchen, roaring at one of the boys to saddle up right away and get both the midwife and the doctor. Little Gustav woke up in the small bed he shared with Amelia, which was next to their big one. He looked at Anna Marie with sleep-drowned eyes. Mummy, are you sick? he asked in a thin voice. Anna Maria tried to keep calm. She said a prayer to God to take care of her and the little one, but she sensed how all the energy seemed to ooze out of her body, how the world became more and more distant. The last thing she heard was the sound of the pot, which Søren knocked over on the floor in his clumsiness. Anna Maria woke up to the sound of a child crying. Dazed, she tried to get up, but she had to give up. She was still so dizzy. A good week after the birth. Lucky she had survived, they all said. Even she had no real concept of the battle that they had fought on her behalf. The placenta had detached, and both Anna Maria and the little girl had been close to death. Fortunately, Dr. Peterson had been at home and together with the midwife, he had delivered the girl and stopped the bleeding. Time and rest, they had said, but she wondered how to do that with a tiny newborn when there were also Gustav and Emilia to look after. Søren had gotten hold of a young girl from the neighboring farm, Tine, and she was a great help. How the infant baby screamed something fierce and took up most of Anna-Marie's time. Tina asked Anna-Marie what she would call the infant girl. She answered, Dagmar Johanna Amalia Overby. A few years later, when Dagmar was seven years old, she was already known as a willful and bright young girl. Even though she was the youngest, she bossed her young siblings around easily. While her youngest sister, wanted to stay indoors and be cuddled by her mummy. Dagmar wanted to play like the boys. She loved to jump in the large haystack in the barn and to go on little adventures. The only one who could put Dagmar in her place was her mother, who she knew better than to disobey. Her father was a different story. He doted on her, and she had him round her little finger, as the saying goes. At school things were different. She did not get very much along with the other children, and when word got out that she had been caught stealing candy from a shop, the bullying had started. One day all the kids had gathered in a circle around Dagmar and chanted, Thieving Dagmar, over and over and over again, as they pointed at her. She hated her classmates, and she hated school. 
At home, she did not get very well along with her siblings. They feared her more than they liked her, and Dagmar spent a lot of time daydreaming and going on little adventures on her own. Her mother had never seen a child with such a vivid imagination, and she was quite tired of Dagmar's constant fabrications and outright lies. In 1896, when Dagmar was nine, the family moved to Denmark's second-largest city, Aarhus. She had looked forward to starting over at a new school where perhaps she would be popular and have girlfriends like a normal girl. The apartment they moved to was a cramped and tiny affair, and their big family had to share beds. It was cluttered, the only toilet was a shared outhouse in the backyard that they shared with all the other tenants. Shortly after they had settled, Dagmar's grandfather came to visit, and he planned on staying a whole month. Dagmar loved her grandfather, and when he looked at her with admiring eyes, complimented her on her beauty, she was thrilled. Due to how cramped the apartment was, everyone had to share beds. Dagmar would sleep with her father and grandfather, and her mother would sleep with the other children. In the middle of the first night of her grandfather's visit, she felt a searing pain in her vagina. It was very dark, so she had at first difficulty seeing what was happening. Then she saw that it was her grandfather who was pushing his fingers inside of her. She whimpered in confusion and fear and told him to stop. Luckily he did, probably because her mother called from the other room for Dagmar to keep quiet. But as soon as she thought her grandfather had fallen asleep again, there his fingers were again. This time he did not stop, and the pain was unbearable. She called out for her mother, saying that her grandfather was touching her, and that it hurt. Again the elderly man stopped, and a short while after her mother came inside and ordered her husband to lie in the middle, so that Dagmar could get some sleep and not disturb everyone. The next day, her mother discovered that Dagmar had not been lying. She saw the blood on the sheets and on Dagmar's nightie. She ordered all the children to go out in the backyard to play. When they came back in, their grandfather was gone. In a rare moment of tenderness, her mother gave her daughter Dagmar a hug and assured her that the old man would not be coming back. The incident would haunt Dagmar for years to come. Four years later, in 1899, Dagmar was thirteen years old and more willful than ever. She was caught stealing over and over again, and her parents were at their wit's end. One day, as her mother was taking her to the police station to confess a petty theft, Dagmar ran away. She only lasted two days on the run before she got homesick and wanted to get back home where there was food and shelter. When she returned, her mother acted as if nothing had happened, but her usually meek and mild father 
was a different story. He stood up and slapped her hard, and in no uncertain terms told her that she had better not try something like that ever again. His admonishment did not stick. She was soon caught stealing, this time money, and her father gave her a painful whipping of her behind. Once again she ran away, but this time she sought out her grandmother. She turned out to be sympathetic, and managed to get her a job at a large farm, where she would work as a servant girl. The working hours were from 8.30 in the morning until 8.30 at night, seven days a week. Every third Sunday would be her day off. The farmer, named Hegor, would make sure that Dagmar was fed, given decent clothes, and that she would be confirmed in the Christian faith. The farm was located far away from Aarhus, on the Danish island of Fien. Dagmar thrived on the farm. She was well suited for the work, and the people seemed to like her, especially the farmhand boy who had picked her up at the train station, Nils. Her first taste of death came with his assistance. One day he was tasked with killing seven kittens, as the farm could not keep so many cats. Nils, who was an animal lover, could not bring himself to hurt the cute little furballs, so he asked Dagmar for help. She gladly helped him, and they went to the well. There Nils brought up a bucket of water. Then he handed Dagmar a kitten, while he closed his eyes. She held the kitten under water until it stopped squirming. Then she continued holding it under water, to be absolutely sure it was dead. She felt delight at the feeling just when the kittens died in her hands. When all seven kittens were dead, Nils cried. Dagmar admonished him and told him to get his act together. The farmer had given an order, and they had carried it out. Simple. She was still only thirteen. One year later, when she was fourteen, Dagmar was confirmed in the Christian faith, as all so-called decent Danish children were at the time. The ceremony went well, and it would remain a fond memory for her for the rest of her life. Dagmar stayed at the farm for many years. However, in 1909, when she was 19 years old, Dagmar was caught stealing from the farmer's wife. Again, it was money that Dagmar had stolen. When confronted with this, Dagmar refused to admit it, and remained defiant. The local sheriff was called, and Dagmar was fired effective immediately, and the sheriff took her away. She was sentenced on the 7th of September, 1909, under Section 228 of the Criminal Code, and Section 13 of the Act of 1st of April, 1905, with imprisonment on the usual prison diet for ten days. It was lucky that it was the first time she was punished, and she had therefore only received the ten days. Remember, dear listener, this occurred in Denmark, and even though it was well over a hundred years ago, the criminal justice system was far more lenient than what my American and British listeners are used to. When she got out of prison, After ten days, 
she used what little money she had on a train ticket back to the city of Aarhus. When she arrived there, she only owned the clothes she wore. She had no money, no references, no job, and she was hungry. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. And with that, we come to the end of part 1 in this uniquely Scandinavian serial killer saga. Next episode will continue Dagmar Overby's tale of misery and murder. So, as they say in the land of radio, stay tuned. What follows is a message to my dear Norwegian listeners in Norwegian. I remind you that my Norsk-språklige podcast, Seriemordepodden, is tilgjengelig and listen to both on Spotify, Apple Podcasts och alla andra städer du hör på podcast så som de ser i Radioland följ med. <skratt> <skratt>